Shalom mishpocha. Shalom, family. Mishpocha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the mishpocha, the family with the Jewish heart, made up of Jewish and non-Jewish people, where the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, it's finally come down to form one new man, getting ready, mishpocha, to blow the grandest shofar, or the grandest trumpet in Zion. We want everyone, everywhere, to hear the good news. We want everyone, everywhere, to be red hot for the Messiah. Recently, I was a guest on TBN, and there was another guest on TBN, and I recognized the presence of God, and I said, this man has a story to tell. And I found out that that uh, inclination by the Holy Spirit, it was right. His name is Pastor Shane Warren. He's senior pastor of the First Assembly of God in West Monroe, Louisiana. Uh, And Shane, uh, when you were 12 years old, you had such an encounter with God that it forever changed your life. Tell me about that. Well, Sid, when I was 12 years old, uh, first of all, I grew up in a home. I had great uh, parents, but none of us served the Lord. None of my grandparents served the Lord. So I didn't know who Jesus was at all. And I, my grandfather had a farm, and uh, from time to time I would go to his house. I loved staying with him. And he had built me a fort in the back of this farm. And I had one day went out to this fort and had sat down in this fort for whatever reason and looked up, and there was a man standing before me. Uh, you know, I've heard people say that his clothes were like white. It, it looked like he was clothed in the sun. It was like uh, the brightest uh, thing you could ever see. He was standing in front of me, and for years, said I've looked for words to describe how I felt that day uh, when the Lord Jesus appeared to me. And the only thing I can find in the Scripture is in Isaiah chapter 6 when the Bible says that Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up, and he said, I am undone. I was 12 years old. I hadn't really, you know, I hadn't committed any major terrible sin, uh, so to speak of, but I knew that something was undone in me. But yet at the same time, it was like I was just bathed or washed like in a bathtub of the most pure love that any human being could ever experience in their life. And uh, I started to weep. And at this time, uh, this man walked up to me. He put his right hand upon my head, my forehead, and he said, uh, I've called you to the nations. And when he said that, I closed my eyes, I started weeping more, and I could still feel his hand upon my head. And so thinking he was still there, I opened my eyes only to find that he was gone. And uh, at that moment, uh, I knew something drastic, you know, of course, had happened in my life. I didn't see a ghost. It wasn't that kind of uh, of uh, an apparition appearing. This was something that was real. So I jumped up, ran as fast as I could run to my grandfather's house, approached him and said, uh, I called him Pop. I said, Pop, tell me what I just saw, what just happened. I shared it with him, and he started to weep. He said, Son, I'm not sure, but you have an aunt that has just started going to church, and we'll take you to her. And at that time, her name was Barbara, uh, and uh, I went to her and shared my story, shared what I had seen, and she said, I believe that you saw Jesus. And that was the beginning of my journey, Sid. I I had a supernatural beginning 
you know, your show being named It's Supernatural. I, I just don't think people grasp how big and how wonderful and how supernatural our God really is. And uh, that's how this thing started with me. What changes occurred after that visitation? What changes occurred in your life? Yeah, immediately, you know, um, my whole demeanor, my whole outlook, uh, my whole feel of where I was going in life. You know, at 12, you you know, you, you have dreams of being a fireman or a, a police officer or a president. But from that point forward, I knew that there was something on my life that I was going to do uh, in the work of the Lord. And, uh, you know, that aunt led me to a church service. That church service uh, was in an old Assembly of God church in Nashville, Tennessee. And the preacher, uh, that service that morning was Easter Sunday morning, 1982. And for whatever reason, you know, they took up the offering at the first of the service. So the guys got up to walk down the front. I'd never been in church in my life. When they stood up, I thought that's what everybody did. So I just ran down to the front. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the preacher, who uh, whose name is Bill Carver, he's still alive to this day, looked at me and said, young man, he said, what do you need? I said, I don't know. He said, well, have you received Jesus? I said, no, that's I haven't. That's what I need. And he led me to Jesus that day. Uh, that, again, was 1982, Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday morning. I, I, I don't like the word Easter. I like Resurrection Sunday morning. And that was the resurrection of my soul that day. And it began a supernatural walk for me that has continued to this day and uh, has made me hungry and more hungry every day for the supernatural things of God. Uh, now, when you had that visitation... And uh, the Lord put his hand on your head. Did he speak anything? Yeah, he spoke to me, and he said, I've called you to the nation. And what's interesting, uh, to the nations... He... Well, what, what does that mean today, looking back at that? Well, looking back, you know, now I've been in uh, numerous countries of the world, probably more than I can count. I've been in almost every every state in America uh, preaching the gospel and sharing the love of Jesus Christ and seeing uh, miracles um, by his hands uh, as he demonstrates the gospel. Uh, spe- speaking and, of miracles, at yeah. age 17, uh, something new started happening. Uh, from what I understand, when you feel the Lord touch your head like he did when you were age 12, miracles break out. You begin to see things in the spirit. But at 17, uh, this is off the chart. You know people's names and addresses, things about their future. Uh, you you see glows around them. Tell me one person. Uh, oh, how about that person uh, where you uh, knew about their dream? Well, uh, this happened several years ago. I was uh, in a church and uh, was... Uh, on the platform, there was a choir of about 60 to 70 people behind me, approximately uh, 800 to 1,000 people in the audience. And when I walked up on the platform the night before, uh, to back up, the night before, I'd had a dream. And in this dream, I was standing in somebody's dream. I know that sounds weird, but that's the only way I know how to describe what I'm telling you. I was standing in somebody's dream, and I was watching this dream unfold. And then, uh, so the next day when I woke up, I knew that something special was going to happen that service. When I walked on the platform and I got the microphone and began my portion of the service, I said, there's somebody here. 
and uh, and I said last night, or you've had a dream that's a reoccurring dream, and I gave the entire dream. Uh, little did I know, standing behind me in the choir loft was a young lady, and she lifted her hand, and I called her out, and I said, "This is the dream you had." She said, "Yes," and I said, "Does anybody else know about this dream?" She said, "Yes." And I said, so you've told what I'm telling you to other people. She said, yes. And I said, not only have you had this dream, but immediately God gave me two more dreams that she had had that were reoccurring dreams. I said, you've had two more dreams. I gave her those dreams. And then God gave me the interpretation of all three, like a story being put together that was about her future. Now, on this side of that dream and that interpretation, we and her parents have all seen that come to pass everything that was spoken in that in that in the dream and the interpretations and uh uh but when i said that her and her her parents immediately were slain in the spirit and uh, on the platform and god began to move in the gift of word of knowledge and word of wisdom and word of prophecy throughout the congregation and literally hundreds of people uh receiving you know things from the Lord. But when, when those things happen, I can literally feel his hand like I felt it that day, uh, sitting in the woods when he put his hand upon my head and said those words to me, I've called you to the nations. Out of curiosity, how much faith is involved when you speak a word? By that, I mean, do you hear it real clear? Uh, is it just a, an impression uh, is it a voice? Well, it, it comes in different ways at, in, at different times. Back when I was 15, 16, 17 years old, I would go into, uh, sometimes I would go into restaurants, for example, and uh, the waitress would be waiting on us, and I was with my parents, and I didn't know what it was. The The church I was in didn't teach about those things. And so, uh, you know, I would, like, for example, the waitress, I would say, uh, you're going to have a beautiful baby, and his name is going to be Michael or something to that effect. And the lady would say, how did you know I'm pregnant? And I said, I didn't. And she said, well, I've already picked out a name, and his name was Michael. And I didn't know what those things were at first, so it was so ignorant. I was so ignorant and simple uh, when I approached it. So there are times that it, it takes extraordinary levels of faith. Uh, to step out, encourage, and deliver what God's given me. And then there's other times that it almost comes out before I realize I've said it. And uh, that's how I prefer it to happen. But then there's there's abundance of times where I've been in places and just God just used me to preach the Word and not necessarily flow in word of knowledge and word of wisdom and word of prophecy. And when I've asked Him about that, He said, Is not my word a word of knowledge, a word of wisdom, and word of prophecy? And I said, yes, it is. And so, you know, it just flows at different levels. The Bible says those gifts are, are given by the Holy Spirit to every man severally as he wills. So they, they're not something you can turn on and off like a water faucet. They are something that if you'll surrender to and submit to, the Holy Spirit will use you in. And I believe he'll use every believer in that, given the opportunity uh, to flow through them. Well, I, I am so excited to release uh, to those that are listening right now, your book, Secrets of the Well, and your three CD series, Living in the Throne Room. You literally have prayed over this book that people that read the book and learn how to worship 
would be able to enter the throne room just like you, would be able to live in the throne room 24-7. Are you getting any feedback from people that have heard your three-CD uh, series uh, called Living in the Throne Room uh, or read the book Secrets of the Well? Oh, sure. Uh, right now, thousands of people have uh, have purchased and read that book and, and, and uh, listened to those messages. You know, intimacy with God is the key. Whoops, we're out of time. I want you to have this three-CD series, Living in the Throne Room, and his book, Secrets of the Well, available for a gift of $36. Call our order-only line, one 800 447 2697 800 447 2697 I'm holding something in front of me that is the most amazing miracle. Uh, it's by a woman, uh, Shane, her name is uh, Lisa, and she talks about a disease I've never heard of. Uh, it's, I, I'm going to give it a stab, hidradenitis. Uh, and tell me briefly what happened to her. She uh, attends our church, and uh, she developed this. Uh, hydronitis is a skin-eating flesh disorder. It's a, it, it is like an infection that gets into the pores of the flesh and underneath the flesh, the skin. And it begins to literally bore holes and create gaping sores, as I sent you the pictures, and you can see. I, I and, know. That, I mean, it's horrific what she was going through. How can someone endure a sickness like that? Well, she she was in and out of the hospital, Sid, uh, numerous times, been to the doctors numerous times, trying to receive a miracle uh, through medicine, which we know that God uses doctors uh, many times, but... Uh, it was to no avail. She was almost like the woman who had, in the Bible spent all she had on doctors and, and there was nothing left. And she came into a service and during the, the worship, the Spirit of God began to move and the Lord had spoke that uh, it was time to start laying hands upon the sick, those who needed a miracle. She came down, hands were laid upon her. But, but wait a second, I've read it in her words and she didn't think anything was going to happen to her. That's correct. She didn't even have the faith for a miracle, which is amazing to me. No, not at all. In fact, when, when I asked her, are you ready, she said that. She said, I don't know. And uh, it, But that's just the grace of God, the love of God, that he touches even when we're not expecting him to do it. So what happened to her? Well, she, we laid hands on her. She fell out in the floor. I think she was up and down probably four times. Every time she would get up, we'd pray for her again. She'd go down again. The fourth time she got up, and she made her way back to her seat. Uh, she went and uh, home, and that night I got a phone call. She said, you're not going to believe this. When I took my shirt off and I went to take the bandages off my sores, the, all of the gaping wounds were closing up on their own, God had healed her in that service and gave her literally a miracle. Uh, well, and you know, I'm reading the report here. She couldn't function as a wife, as a mother, uh, as, as working in a job. I mean, she was totally wasted by this flesh-eating disease. Uh, I, I can't think of a worse disease for someone to have. And, and she doesn't have the faith, and she got healed. 
Did you know something like that was going to happen that night? Something uh, so miraculous? I'm curious. Well, here's what I've I've gotten to the point, Sid, that I expect something to happen. You know, Jesus said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Jesus said signs and wonders would follow the believers. And so I figure, hey, I'm a believer. She's a believer. It's just bound to happen. It's it's his word. It's his promise. And so, no, I, he didn't necessarily speak to me. She's going to get her miracle tonight. But the Lord had already spoken to me in his word that it's his will to give her a miracle. So when we laid hands in faith, we believed and we prayed and we declared and we believed that God would do the miracle. And he did it as he's done it hundreds and hundreds of times of people that we have prayed for across the nation. And, and what I love is that your heart is not to be the superstar. You already know who the superstar is. His name is Jesus in Hebrew, Yeshua. But your heart is Anything you can do, the people that are taught the revelations you've received can do the same. I'm going to take you back to another key time in your life. Uh, You lost your father. Your mother was uh, very sickly. Your father died at age 57. uh, And uh, your mother is in desperate shape. uh, And you were at the end of your rope. Yeah, you, you 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 probably you you've seen miracles your whole life, but not a miracle for your mother. Tell me what happened. Those were the most difficult days of of my life, Sid. Uh, my dad died suddenly at the age of fifty-seven. My mother began to starve herself to death, literally, for the next three years. And I lay in bed one night with my arms around my mother. At that time, her body weighed 57 to 58 pounds. That's all she weighed. Was she not able to eat, or she was just uh, so stressed out from your father dying in circumstances of life, she had no will to eat? She was overstricken by grief so much hmm. that she, she could not eat. And then finally, it had, it had digressed to a point that she was not able to eat anymore. And so now the body was taking over, and she was literally dying. And I was laying in bed one night, my arms around her little frail body, and I was praying and begging God to save her. I, and I said to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand. I've laid hands on hundreds, if not thousands of people uh, around the world and see miracles. And, and just not long before this, there was a man, which we'll talk about later, who was blind in our church, had been healed, received his sight. And I said, why won't you heal my mother? I got so frustrated, I literally thought she was going to die that night. I went to my study room, and I have a guitar in there, and I put the guitar around my neck. And I said these words. I said to God, I said, God, though I don't understand uh, what you're doing, I want you to know that I'll trust you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to serve you no matter what happens. You know, a lot of people going through what you were going through. With the, Here you've lost your father at a young age. You've lost, uh, he was at a young age. Uh, your mother is wasting away to nothing. Uh, some people just harden and they get bitter with God. But that's not what I'm hearing coming from you. No, no. And, and in just a moment, I'll share a truth. And especially over the next several broadcasts, share some truths that will change people's lives if they'll listen. Because I had an experience out of this. When I sat there in that room with that guitar around my neck, I prayed that prayer to God. The second thing I did was turn my attention towards Satan. And I never give him a time of day, but that night I was angry. And I said, Satan, I want you to know something. That no matter what happens with my mother, 
You will never, ever be able to take one thing from me. There is one thing that I will possess you will never steal from my life. You'll never take my song or my worship because I've always been a worshiper. I've always been somebody who loved to worship God like David did, radical worship. And I started playing my guitar and singing to the Lord. And the next thing I know, I was caught up into the heavens The only thing I can describe is what the Apostle Paul went through when he says he was caught up, whether in the spirit, out of the spirit, out of the body, in the body, didn't know. I was caught up, and I went into the, the spirit realm, a heavenly realm, and God began to show me things and share secrets with me. I saw how angels work in church services and how people receive their miracles and how breakthroughs come. And he would share the word of the Lord become alive to me in many passages that I had overlooked for many years, just come alive off the pages to me. And uh, this went on for hours. In fact, about eight hours later, I came to myself like I hit my body. And when I hit my body, my hands were still on a cord on my guitar, and I was still sitting in that chair, and it was morning time. So you literally, uh, Paul talks about, I know a man, whether he was in the body or not in the body, that was caught up into heaven. Is that what happened to you? I, I fearfully uh, and, and with trembling lips right now tell you that that is, the, that is the experience that I had. It was the closest way for me to describe to you that I was literally caught up it's like I was there in that room, and the next thing I know, I was in a different place, and I began to see things. I heard the sound where the Scripture says the sound of many waters. I heard the sound of heavenly worship, throne room, and I can feel the anointing of the presence of God upon me now as I tell you this, uh, like rivers of water flowing at the same time. Uh, the only thing I could compare it to is many years ago as a child, I went to the base of Niagara Falls on one of those trips, you know, where you go on a boat. Yes. And the deafening sound of those waters, I heard those coming from the throne of God as every tribe, tongue, kindred, and nation began to worship God uh, around the throne. And the Lord began to speak to me about worship and speak to me about the power of sound and speak to me about colors in worship and angels in worship. And I'm telling you, people are closer to their breakthroughs and their miracles than they think they are. You you know, the next day you said to the Lord, what happened and what did he say to you? He said, I give you a revelation. I've shown you something that I want you to deliver to the body of Christ because they don't understand what's happening. They think they're just coming to church, but there's more going on than just coming to church. And he said, I'm going to give you an assignment to go open their eyes to the spirit realm. And as you teach and their eyes become open to the spirit realm, he said, I'm going to visit them in miracles, and I'm going to demonstrate the power of the gospel as they worship me. So everywhere I've went, I've started teaching this revelation that God has given me in different segments. It's so much, you know, that that book is loaded with hundreds of hours of teaching in it. And there's so much that I I can't get in all these services. But where I go and we deliver these nuggets of revelation of how to get into the lap of their God, something supernatural happens in every single meeting. Uh, you know, and it's been everything from the glory of God invading a place 
and everybody falling on their face to miracles happening, divine healings happening, uh, the supernatural taking place. And, uh, I mean, we've just seen everything you can imagine as God invades the atmosphere. To kind of whet their appetite, Shane, uh, one of the there, – there are uh, the uh, Jewish holy books – uh, the commentaries, etc., uh, they they identify something called messianic miracles, and one messianic miracle, and that's why in the New Testament there was such a f- uproar uh, by by the religious people when a man born blind got his sight back. That happened in your church because of the presence of God being so high. Tell me about that. Several years ago, we, uh, I had uh, taken this church, and I was seeking God. And on us, we we had had a our youth had been to a conference, and they come back, and we'd had a phenomenal time in our Sunday morning service. But on Sunday night, when we came together, an unusual atmosphere filled the building. Uh, it was a holy, uh, glorious, uh, heavy kind of atmosphere filled the building. Immediately, people began to worship in ways I didn't, I hadn't, hadn't yet seen them worship. And when I say that, it, it almost got wild. It was like a party. Sid, they were everybody was so joyous and overwhelmed, and it was a glorious thing. And uh, in the in that moment, the Lord spoke to my heart, and He said, "I want you to pray for people to be filled with the Spirit." I, and I, so I opened it up. I said, is there any, if there, you're here today and you have not yet been filled with the Spirit tonight, I want you to come to the front. I was shocked when about 200 people ran to the front and made their way across our altar. There was a man in our church by the name of Sammy. Uh, Sammy uh, had been attending our church for some time. I watched as Sammy was totally blind. If he took his glasses off, his eyes kind of bounced around his dark glasses He carried a a white walking cane, and his wife, his little precious wife, would lead him everywhere in the church to the Sunday school classes, all kinds of things like that. Well, I looked over, and Sammy was standing with his wife in the far corner, and when I went to pray for him, I said, Sammy, what do you want? He said, I want to be filled with the Spirit that you talked about. I laid my hands upon his head. He fell to the floor and began to pray in a heavenly language that God had given him. And so I immediately just started kind of bouncing around. You know, there's several hundred people needing to be prayed for. And while I'm praying, one of my ushers runs up on the platform and grabs me and spins me around. And he's having to scream at the top of his voice because everybody is so loud. The music is so loud. It's a celebratory atmosphere. And he says, Pastor Shane, uh, he said, the blind man can see, the blind man can see, the blind man can see. Well, I turned and looked across this 40 to 50 foot platform. I looked over to my left in the corner and Sammy had his dark glasses off. He was looking at his wife. Both of them were crying. She was holding up fingers and he was mimicking what she was holding up. I immediately ran over to him and I said, Sammy, what's going on? He said, Pastor, when I was down on my knees, he said, I had my eyes closed and he was talking about his eyelids. He said, I had my eyes closed, and I was praying, and all of a sudden something said to me, open your eyes. And he said, when I opened my eyes, I could see through my sunglasses, uh, through my dark glasses. He said, I can see, I can see. I brought him up on the platform. He could 
tell us what things were in the back of the room, what colors were hanging on the wall. He could tell you, uh, you know, that, you know, there was a clock in a certain area. There was something else in another area, a person in a certain colored shirt in our balcony. And we have a very large facility. It seats about 1,500 people. And to our amazement, God swept through and opened Sammy's eyes. Uh, what was wrong with his eyes? Why was he blind, do you know? The optical, there was optical nerve damage uh, with his eyes. And what was now? How, how do you know this? Did he tell you, or did a oh, doctor tell him? Have doctors' reports uh, that we had received, where he brought them to us. He was part of Hadley School of the Blind, which is in Ruston, Louisiana. So he was born blind. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he had never seen his entire life. Yeah, to my to my understanding, he had never seen. <laughs> you know what makes this miracle even more incredible is the doctors say his nerves are still disconnected to this day. Uh, yet he he works as a computer programmer and he can see. Can you imagine what effect that must have had on him? What effect did it have on the congregation? Immediately, said miracles broke out all over the building. My own secretary. Uh, well, I say my secretary, one of my bookkeepers of my ministry, her daughter, her eyes were crossed. She looked, her her eyesight was so bad that her, her glasses looked like the bottom of Coke bottles. And it was just, you know, for her, it was something difficult for this little girl to deal with. And all of a sudden, the next night, when we came back the next night, I see my youth pastor across the sanctuary holding up fingers, and I look across where he's pointed to, and there is my, my bookkeeper's daughter. Her eyes are straight as an arrow. Her glasses are off, and she's doing everything. God started opening deaf ears in our service. We had people that, were, that were, uh, had cancer in their body, and nobody, and I want to make sure that I give God the glory here, nobody laid hands upon these people as we worshiped God I believe the angels of God began to go around and minister the gifts of healings to individuals. I'm telling you, it was the most miraculous thing. Our church broke out in revival. Isn't that a foretaste of what is coming worldwide right now? Oh, what I'm telling you right now, Sid, is the will of God for every church, for every believer in Jesus Christ. It is the will of God. I don't care where they are in the world. In America, it's the will of God. You know, somebody said to me, miracles are the dinner bell of the gospel. I said, no, my friend, they're the whole package, (laughs) the whole package. And so I believe that that is the will of God. I mean, even now... Oh, my faith is so stirred as I'm sitting here talking to you for miracles, for even your listeners right now, that if they have sickness in their body, to believe God right now and begin to worship Him, I believe that sickness will be broken off of them. Why don't you worship? Just We only have a couple minutes. I want you to worship God, and I want everyone that is listening to Shane worship God, worship with Him. Just for two minutes. Would you do that, Shane? Yes. Hallelujah. Father, 
glory. We give you glory, God. Ancient of days, we magnify you and we lift you up. For you have a name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee must bow and every tongue confess. Father, your name is above cancer. Your name is above migraines. Your name, Lord, is above every sickness and every disease, every malady and malfunction. And they must bow their knee to the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, go right now through the airwaves and begin to touch. May your anointing and your power pass through the airwaves. Touch every believer and confirm the word that I'm speaking to them now through signs, wonders, and miracles. Demonstrate this gospel because you are a living Jesus, a living Jesus, and we magnify you, God, and we give you the glory that you deserve and the honor that you deserve. May the presence of God fill every room, every car, right now where they listen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I give you thanks for it, Master. I give you thanks for it, Master. Hallelujah. Shane, are you able to live in the throne room 24-7, anytime you want to? You, a person can live in the glory of God, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why would anyone not want to? I guess it's because most people don't know how or don't know it's even possible. They don't know who they are in Jesus Christ. They don't know their benefits as a believer. And they don't know the access that they have to the heavenlies because of the holy blood that Jesus shed at Calvary for them. Now, why do you call your book Secrets of the Well? It's named after the woman in John chapter 4 who sat down at a well with Jesus. This woman's life was in a total shambles. She didn't know where to turn. And Jesus visited her at that well, and he gave her a secret that turned her life right side up. And the thing that is so amazing is... When Shane shares these secrets from having been caught up into the heavenlies, this is what he says occurs. Number one, you get the attention of God. Number two, how to worship to get the attention of God. He says, number three, every war, every battle can be won. He says, number four, it's time to remove the ceiling from your worship. You will have a breakthrough in every situation of your life. And then the three CD series, it's called Living in the Throne Room. Um, you know, it's no wonder that your church is growing. Uh, I, I remember hearing something when I, I heard you as a guest on TBN. Uh, your church received a, an honor in Louisiana. What was that? Uh, we're, we've numerous times have been called the place to be on Sunday morning in the state of Louisiana. And I believe that when people read your book and listen to your teaching— the same thing that is happening in your church is going to be happening in their living room. Same thing that is happening in your congregation is going to be happening wherever they go because they're going to be a carrier. And 24-7, they're going to be walking in the tangible, manifest presence of God. 
We're making the three-CD series, Living in the Throne Room, and the book, Secrets of the Well. These are the secrets that, that Shane has learned from his visitation to heaven and walking with the Lord all of these years, available for a gift of $36. Call our order-only line, 1-800-447-2697. 1-800-447-2697. I, I think it's amazing, the chapter in your book about the warfare of worship, the revelation you got. If you would teach on that today. Sure. You know, in the book of Exodus, chapter 32, Moses is on the mountain with God. Aaron is down in the valley, and there's a golden calf being made. Joshua's halfway up the mountain, and God tells Moses, come down off the mountain. He gets to where Joshua's at, and Joshua says to Moses, and this is very key, he says, there's a noise of war that is in the camp. Well, what were they doing in the camp, Sid? They were worshiping a golden calf. By the way, the word worship there means to kiss as mouth-to-mouth or to lick like a dog would lap or lick the hand of its master. Uh, They they got as low as a human people group could get. Absolutely. Absolutely. They had resolved to this idol worship, and what was bad was they were calling the idol by the name of Jehovah. Mm. And that's a whole other message in itself. But the thing that's key is Joshua said, there's a sound of warfare in the camp. Well, they were dancing. They were worshiping, which tells us that worship to the spirit realm sounds like warfare. And Moses stops and says, he listens for a moment, and he puts his hand over his ears. And this uh, is in Exodus chapter 32, about 16, 17. He puts his hand over his ears, and he says, no, it's not the sound of those who shout, because they got the victory, nor the sound of those who shout because they need the victory. It's just simply the sound of singing that I hear. In other words, Moses was able to discern because he had been in the glory. He was able to discern that this wasn't true worship, that it was just simply lip service. And that's what worship was, is kissing. By the way, how, how, what was it? What was the way that Judas betrayed Jesus? He betrayed Jesus with the kiss of worship. Judas comes from the name Judah. Judah was Judah means praise. Judas was named because he was probably an unusual praiser. He carried, according to John chapter 12, he carried a bag on his hip. The Bible says he kept Jesus' money in that bag. But there's several different words for bags, just like a woman has purse, and then there's man bags, and then there's briefcases or satchels. There's different words in the Greek for bags. Well, the word that's used there is the Greek word noskomen. And the noskomen was a bag that only one person in Israel carried. It was a musician. It's called a tongue bag, and he would put his reeds in it. So what Judas had done is he had traded or merchandised his anointing of worship and betrayed Jesus with the very thing that he was created to do. But worship... Yeah, yeah it reminds me that there's a teaching going around called merchandising the anointing. Isn't that the same thing? Yeah, it's very similar. I haven't heard that anyone else teach on that subject uh, to, the, to the extent that I'm talking about in the context of worship. But back to this thing of warfare... Your your listeners and all of us don't realize how close to breakthrough that we are. 
Because when we worship, we put forth the sound of warfare. When a person worships, I want you to realize that every principality, and these were the things that I saw in the Spirit. There are spirits, chief spirits, that are over territories and regions and cities. And these spirits descend on places when they hear the sound of worship, because worship to the spirit realm is the sound of warfare. Not only that, angels ascend and descend uh, uh, on those waves of worship. Proof of that is 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul was talking about the the cultural setting of the Corinthian church. He said a woman needs to cover her head. And he said when she comes to church, may a woman cover her head. And he said because of the angels. Well, he's speaking about a church service there. He said, when you come to church, everybody needs to be careful how they conduct themselves because you're not just coming to church. There's a whole spirit realm that becomes active and angels show up in the church service. And they're there to do bidding. The Bible says angels are sent forth to minister on behalf of of those who have been born again, those of us who are righteous. And so when angels come to a church service, they're coming with your breakthrough in their hand. And it doesn't even have to be a church service. I want to be clear here that when you worship God, angels come into your room where you're at. They come into your house, if it's in your house, in your office, if it's at your work. Angels ascend and descend in that place. And also, there are wicked angels that are involved as well, wicked spirits that are involved as well, that are trying to stop uh, the, the, the breakthroughs and the miracles from happening. But what I saw was whenever we began to worship, God showed me that the atmosphere was like it was it was a warfare atmosphere In, in the prophets. It says he teaches my fingers to do battle and my hands to make war. The believer through the power of worship can win more battles by simply snapping his finger. They, if they knew the power of worship, they could snap their finger in worship and win every battle that comes against their life. Uh, describe to me what might be happening as believers in your congregation are worshiping corporately. What could be going on in the spirit world? Uh, use your sanctified imagination and tell me what, what could be going on. Well, here's the thing. I don't have to use my imagination. This is what the Lord showed me, and, and I write about it in my book. This is what he showed me. He showed me these these angels coming into the worship service, and they had our miracles and our breakthroughs in their hands. But they, they're not the only ones coming. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, 11 tells us that both he who sanctifies and those who sanctify are all one. He's not ashamed to call us his brethren. And that's talking about Jesus and us. And the Bible says in verse number 11 that he will declare the names of God to his brethren in the midst of the church. Will I sing praise unto thee? The context there is Jesus talking. So the Bible doesn't just say the angels are coming to our church service. The Bible says Jesus himself is somehow visiting our services and coming into the services and joining us in our worship setting. And and that was the most profound thing I ever saw in the Word of God. And as people began to worship, the Bible says in John chapter 4, and this is the reason I call my book The Secrets of the Well, in John chapter 4, Jesus is giving these secrets to this woman at the well whose life is in a mess. 
She's had five husbands. She's now in a relationship with another man she's not married to. She's at the well in the middle of the day. Her life is a total disgrace. And Jesus sits down with her, and he picks this woman to give the most profound revelation of worship in the New Testament to a woman whose life is in a mess. Why did he do that? Because he knows the key to breakthrough for her life and for our life is to discover the power of intimacy with God that when a person discovers the power of intimacy with God, miracles begin to happen, and the Lord turns our lives right side up. And the Bible says, here's what Jesus said to that woman. He says, the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Lord is on a hunt for those who are worshipers. And I didn't say those who do worship, because worship is something you do, but a worshiper is who you are. And the Lord is on a hunt for true worshipers. So when the Lord shows up in our church services and with these angels, he is looking for somebody. He's not looking for everybody. He's looking for worshipers. And according to Hebrews chapter 2, verse number 11, he walks around and declares the names, the redemptive names of God in the ears of those who are worshipers. So what happens is he walks up to somebody, let's say, that is sitting in a church service, and they're truly worshiping God, and they're, they're sick in their body. And he walks up to them, and at some point during the worship service, he whispers in their spiritual ear, he says, He's Jehovah Rapha. He's the Lord that healeth thee. And when he says that, there's healings that take place. There's miracles that take place. See, that just happened in a church in Pineville, Louisiana, I was walking around teaching this revelation, and I walked up to a man through the word of knowledge, and I said, let's just say that Jesus were to walk up to you tonight, and you're dealing with sickness in your body, and he says, he's Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. And I whispered that in his ear immediately. I did not know, but I knew the man had received a touch from the Lord, and I told him, God has just done something for you. This man's kidneys were in failure. He was going to the doctor because of kidney failure. He went to the doctor the, the next week. His kidneys had completely reversed because Jesus had walked up to him. Listen, the Lord means what he says when he says, in the midst of two or three, I'm there. The Lord comes down and he ministers. And these angels do ministry. You know, we, we, uh, I'm not into worshiping angels at all, but I'm telling you, we underestimate the power of angelic ministry. Yeah, yeah no, I, I was really intrigued by your chapter in your book uh, that talks about what the devil knows about worship and what the devil doesn't want us to know. When we know, when we really know the revelation in this book, you say that there's no obstacle in life that is impossible. No war you cannot win. You're right. But listen, Satan, according to Ezekiel chapter 28, was a worshiping being. He was created for worship. The Bible says he had three different sets of instruments in his body, uh, percussion instruments, woodwind instruments, and stringed instruments, according to Isaiah there. But there, he was a worship being. Listen, he knows. The Bible says he walks up and down, and he walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire in a pre-fallen state. He knows how worship affects the Father. He knows how worship affects the spirit realm. He knows how worship affects the angels. What is worship, and what kind of worship is God looking for, Shane? Well, I think the best way to define what worship is is to say what it's not. In my book, I teach 
when Jesus sat down with the woman at the well, whose life was in a mess and she needed a touch, he gave her the most profound revelation on worship uh, in that setting. And he discusses with her some of the issues that all of us deal with when it comes to worship. First of all, he says to her, you know, you, she says to him, rather, she says, you, you Jews worship in this mountain, and we Samaritans worship in this mountain. You know, they worshiped in Mount Gerizim at another uh, temple. And he, they, they said, but, you know, where, where's the place where men ought to worship? And, and here's the first fallacy when it comes to worship is not a place. Anytime you relegate, this is what the Lord showed me, anytime you relegate worship to a place, it becomes idolatry. Some of the greatest sins of idolatry are being committed on Sundays and Wednesdays or whenever churches meet across the country because the only time people ever worship God is when they go to that place. They have relegated their worship to a place. Worship has nothing to do with a place. It has everything to do with the person of Jesus and giving him the praise that he deserves. But when we make it about a place, we make it idolatry. And, you know, we might as well erect a false god when we don't worship Jesus any other time but the time that we go to church. And that's something that really burdens my heart. And that was one of the things that Jesus taught this woman at the well, is that worship isn't about a place at all. It's not about whether you're in Jerusalem, and it's not about whether you're, you know, in Samaria. You can worship God anywhere that you are. Some of the most glorious experiences, some of the most beautiful spiritual experiences I've ever had have happened to me when I wasn't at church. When I was alone with God and all of a sudden God caught me up and I and I was shown things that I had never seen before. And so it's very important that we don't, you know, relegate worship to a place. Another thing that, that he said to her is... Uh, you know, she she said she thought it was about a place, and then he he said she said you Samaritans worship like this, and you Jews worship like this, and basically what she was saying is there's a certain style to worship. Worship has nothing to do with a place, and worship has nothing to do with a style. It doesn't matter if you you know I've been in in the far areas of Africa, Sid, where I have they worship God on pots and pans. But the glory of God, in fact, I was in, I was in Lagos, Nigeria, preaching a crusade, and they started worshiping God, and basically it was just on drums, and as they started worshiping God, all of a sudden, demon spirits began to manifest in people, and I'm talking about 40 and 50 at a time in groups were falling in the floor, manifesting demon spirits as the, the presence of God invaded the place. And the people were dramatically set free. And it had nothing to do with the style. So it's not about whether you do it contemporary, whether you do it old school. Worship is about the heart. That's what it is. It's not about the song you bring. It's, it's about the heart that you bring. It's not about the song you sing. It's about the heart that you bring. Worship is about a heart. Uh, so worship... I, I don't understand why every Christian in the world would not spend their entire life worshiping God because they're so grateful for what he's done for us. Absolutely. I mean, it ought to be, worship ought to be the most natural reflex to the believer. And I want to say that again, it ought to be the most natural reflex to the believer. When something goes on in our life, bad or good, the the natural reflex for us should be worship. 
But the reason it's not, Sid, is because we have relegated worship to an act, and it's not about a, a state of being. We have made worship an action. It's something we do, but it's not who we are. And when a person learns how to be a worshiper, not just come and worship, you know, in Psalm 50, there's a, there's a statement that God made. He said, you know, I'm not going to rebuke you. He says, I'm not going to rebuke you for your sacrifices you're bringing. He said, but I want to tell you, and, and I'm summing up here, I'm paraphrasing. He says, if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. The silver's mine. The gold is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills is mine. Here's what God said. He said, if I wanted a steak, I wouldn't tell you. I don't need you to give me a steak. Because what they were doing is they were bringing the sacrifices of worship but they weren't bringing the heart with the sacrifice. God is not interested in us just lifting our hands or clapping our hands or singing a song or dancing, even though all of that is pleasing to Him. But he's, it's only pleasing to Him if there is the Spirit behind it, because the main thing Jesus told that woman is they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and in truth. There has to be the spiritual essence of it for it to be true worship. It's not an act. It's not something we do. It's who we are as a spiritual being. It is spirit connecting with spirit. It is the building of an altar in our life to God. And so I've learned how to worship Him 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and stay in the holy presence of God. You, what worship pleases God? I mean, you, you said from the heart, but how, how can I be a God pleaser? You know, it's, it's good to be in His presence 24-7. How can I be a worshiper of God 24-7? I think, first of all, is to get a concept of how much God loves each and every one of us. You know, in the book of Daniel, the Bible talks about, uh, I believe it is Daniel 7, the, the Scripture talks about some angels coming and bringing the, the Son uh, uh, unto the Father, the Ancient of Days. And it says these angels, it says, and they brought him near. In Daniel 7, it says, and they brought him near. And I, I believe this is the resurrection, and they're bringing Jesus near to the Father in heaven. But so, so if we read that correctly, then Daniel 7 says that Jesus had an angelic escort into the throne room. But when you go to the book of Hebrews, when Jesus got to the throne room and he put his blood on the mercy seat, now believers don't have an angelic escort in the throne room. Now we have a blood escort. The Bible says we can draw near by the blood, and we can come boldly to the throne room by the blood. Because we've been washed in the blood of Jesus, and as believers, we have access to the throne. But here's the thing it says in Hebrews there. It says that you have access, and this is on one of the CDs that's in the pack that you're offering. It says that we have access uh, to the holiest of all. Well, in heaven, there's angels in the throne room. If all we could do is, as a believer, worship God and get into the throne room, then we would be no different than the angels. But because we're a believer and because of the blood of Jesus Christ, we have an, a more wonderful access there. We have access to go to the holiest place in the entire universe when we worship. Well, what is the holiest place in the universe? John chapter 1, the Bible says that Jesus dwelt in the bosom of the Father, the lap of God, the lap of Abba. Do you realize, Sid, 
that a believer, you and I as children of God, because of the blood of Jesus, can any moment, any time, any place, in any style, make our way into the throne room of God, and there will be the angels worshiping, and we can go even deeper than the angels. We have an invitation to sit in the very lap, the bosom of Abba, Father, This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he said that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus or in Christ Jesus. Because of that, we have a special position in the throne itself to come and obtain grace in time of need. Are you feeling the presence of God that I'm feeling? Are you getting the witness by the Spirit that this is a realm that God wants you to have access to? I would like you right now to call our 800 number and order the book, Secrets of the Well, and the three-CD series, Living in the Throne Room. I want you to have access to the secret place 24-7. I want you to be able to have a breakthrough in every situation in your life. I want you to know how to get God's attention. I want you to know that every war you're involved in right now can be won. Available for a gift of $36. Shabbat broadcast. The Lord is blessing you right now. The Lord is keeping you right now. The Lord is smiling upon you right now. The Lord is surrounding you with his favor right now. The Lord has, and backs are being healed right now and next in Jesus' name. The Lord is giving you his shalom right now, his completeness in your spirit, in your soul, in your body, in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach Tzikinu. Jesus the Messiah, our righteousness. To hear this week's interview or watch archives of our television show, It's Supernatural, visit our website at www.sidroth.org. That's www.sidroth.org. To receive a complimentary copy of our bi-monthly teaching newsletter, materials catalog, or information about becoming Mishpucha or Chalitzim, write to me, Sid Roth, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278. To place a credit card order, call anytime, 1-800-447-2697. For all other calls, the number is 704-943-6500. That's 704-943-6500. For a CD of this week's broadcast, 
send a donation to Sid Roth. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H, Post Office Box 39222, Charlotte, North Carolina, 28278.